Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. The series is our Christmas series. Uh, we always do a big Christmas series every year, and uh, this one is, is one that honestly, it snuck up on us a little bit, but I'm excited about. I, I think it's a, it's a fun series. Um, and we're just talking about gifts, basically. Um, how many of you have ever gotten a bad gift before? Has anybody ever gotten a bad gift? <coughs> Liars. There's a whole bunch of you that are lying right now, and you're in church. Your pastor asked you a question, and you're lying to your pastor in church. Uh, I've gotten bad gifts before. Um, I, I typically don't love gifts that I would have gotten myself. So when I was a kid, um, I would open up a gift, and I'd be like, yay, underwear. That was so thoughtful, Santa. If Santa hadn't gotten me this, my parents were gonna get it for me next week. All you did is save my mom and dad some money, Santa. You didn't do me any favors, right? But I, I didn't like gifts of things that I needed anyway. It's like, how do you get excited about that? I like gifts that were different or that were unique or thoughtful or extravagant. Um, nobody, nobody hates an extravagant gift, right? You're like, oh, that's too much. You shouldn't have spent so much on me. And he's like, yes. Did you keep the receipt? So, uh, we all, we all like to receive gifts, though, but we don't like bad gifts. And a few weeks ago, I asked on uh, Facebook, I asked some people to give me some feedback about bad gifts that they had received. <laughs> I'm making eye contact with somebody. She already knows I'm gonna read hers. I wanna read a few of these to you this morning. Uh, if you didn't want me to share it, you shouldn't have put it on Facebook. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's not like that's private conversation between me and you, so... Let me just read a couple of these to you. Um, and you can sense a common thread among these. Uh, this one was from Marie. Marie said, for our first Christmas together, Don wanted to buy me a dust buster. <laughs> I don't know if you, maybe some of you are too young to remember what a dust buster is. It's like, you know, like a mini vacuum. Just you know. Don bought Marie a dust buster for their first Christmas. And of course, and she says, of course, I read him the riot act and told him, never buy me anything having to do with cleaning unless I ask, for, ask you for it. And it's all in caps. So you know she was screaming when she said that. Needless to say, 27 years later, I've never received another dust buster. So if you need marriage counseling today, Donna Marie would be available to sit down with you and talk through that. I'm not gonna read the name of this person, uh, but th this woman said, I think lottery tickets for my husband were the worst gift I ever received. Uh, now, if I'd have won big, I might not be saying this, but there was no thought put into it at all. Like, hey, baby, uh, I got you some lotto tickets. Um, and i tell you what the thought was. There was thought behind it. The thought was, um, if my wife wins the $400 million lotto, at least I'll get half in the divorce, right? That's what he was thinking. <laughs> and then my... <laughs> Then my favorite was this one. Uh, so again, I asked the question, what was the worst gift you ever received? And Michelle uh, said this. Michelle said, a 38 revolver. <laughs> Which, that's dangerous to hand your, your angry wife a loaded gift, uh, right? She says, although my husband's heart was in the right place, he wanted me to be able to protect our family when he was away. Not appropriate for Christmas. And if it was funny, I commented on that and I said, I disagree with you. I said, what better way to celebrate the, the birth and life of our Savior than giving a gift that can end the life of an intruder? So I think it's 100% appropriate. <laughs> but we've all gotten gifts that maybe we didn't really want. Maybe we really didn't need. Maybe we didn't really like that much. 
Uh, if you've ever been to a white elephant gift exchange, maybe you haven't, but basically what it is, is people will, will bring bad gifts to this white elephant gift exchange. And the point is to trade bad gifts with each other. And at the end, it's just funny, it's fun, you have a good time. Uh, I've been at these before where people traded jars of, like mason jars of bath water or, um, um, or just crazy random things like leftovers from your kitchen or something like that. Uh, and you just get terrible gifts. But the point is not to hurt each other, it's just to have fun and laugh and, and that kind of thing. Um, but it's interesting because white elephant, and this is from my extensive elephant, uh, ceramic elephant collection too, it's very precious to me. Um, I actually got it on Amazon this last week. But a white elephant, um, white elephant has an origin that goes way back, all the way back to Thailand. Uh, the king of Siam would actually give extravagant gifts to people in his court, and he would give them a gift that was an albino elephant. But the trick was that he wouldn't give the gifts to people he loved and cared for. He would give the gift, this extravagant gift of an albino elephant, to people who had displeased him. And the reason he would give this extravagant gift away is because he knew over time the care and maintenance of this animal would eventually ruin the family. They couldn't afford to take care of the animal, so it would eventually bankrupt them. It would ruin their family. And when I thought about that, I thought, how often do we either intentionally or unintentionally give a gift that's not only not beneficial for someone, but it's actually intended to hurt or ruin them? And so usually at Christmas time, we talk about love and joy and peace and those kind of things, but we're taking a little bit of a different look at that this year. We're, we're looking at some gifts that really nobody wants, and that's why we called the series White Elephant, the gift no one wants. And so every week we're gonna talk a little bit about some gifts that we give that really nobody is interested in, and maybe it's gonna be detrimental or hurtful to them. This week we're gonna talk about the gift of drama. Oh, some of you received that gift before. <laughs> I see you're acquainted with it already. See, what is drama? I think we've all experienced it. We know it when we see it. Uh, but drama is, is very simply, there was a saying in the South, I don't know if you used it around here, it's turning a molehill into a mountain. Has anybody ever done that before or heard that before? Um, this is what drama is. Drama is taking a situation that's a two and turning that situation into a nine. Um, I don't know if this is, you've ever seen this at work. It happens with my kids sometimes. Um, the other night, uh, Abby came in my room early one morning and the dog had slept in the bed with Abby and she came in and said, Daddy, and I'm sorry if this grosses you out. She said, Daddy, the dog is throwing up on my bed. It's throwing up everywhere. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I'm running in and I'm picturing I'm gonna have to put a hazmat suit on or something, you know, and I walk in and I look at the bed and there's a little spot about that big, about the size of a quarter on the cover. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? Let me, oh, I got it. Never mind. we're good, we're good, you know. What happened? Well, she took a two and turned it into a nine. Now, Think about your workplace. Think about your family. Think about your life. And there are people in your life that do that. And what they're doing is they are giving the gift of drama. They just might not even realize they're doing that. Um, families are the prime place to receive drama. Have you ever realized that before? I mean, you just came through Thanksgiving and maybe you experienced that in your home uh, or in, in your loved one's home. Uh, maybe a conversation that started off friendly turned into something that was not as friendly. <laughs> Uh, a few years ago, many years ago now, um, this is gonna date me, but it was, it was Christmas 1999. 
Sounds like a long time ago now to some of you. Some of you are like, I wasn't even born then, Mel. So Christmas 1999, we, I was at this family gathering and a guy in my family was having a conversation with a woman in our family. And they started this conversation about um, Y2K. Does anybody remember Y2K? Yeah, okay, thank God you survived. It was a close one, we barely made it, right? <laughs> so they had this conversation and the gentleman said that it was, uh, 2000 was the beginning of the new millennium. And the woman said, no, it's not. It's the end of the old millennium. And this was pre-Siri or Google, okay? You couldn't just whip your phone out. Uh, I could have whipped my phone out, but all it could have done was dialed a friend. That would have been it. So they are having this conversation and it, it escalates quickly. And all of a sudden, they're having this heated argument about whether 2000 is the first year of the new millennium or the last year of the old millennium. And do you know what I wanted to say? Who cares? What difference does it make? Why are we arguing about this? We're taking a two and turning it into a nine. It really isn't that big a deal. Like, they really should have just gone, okay, well, I'll agree to disagree, right? But no, there was drama. And you've experienced the same thing in your life, in your family. And it's easy to do because sometimes we take our family for granted. It's easy to do because sometimes we go, well, I can, I can have drama with my family because they love me and they've got to forgive me anyway. So we think sometimes it's just our family. But you know what? Even the, the family of Jesus was like that. Did you know that? Think back to the original Christmas story. Think back to the birth of Jesus. Um, Mary, his mother, was an unwed mother. She was not married at the time, <clears throat> and her story was, God got me pregnant. Does that sound a little fishy to anybody? If somebody rolled into your work and she was showing, and you're like, oh, I didn't even know you were married. She's like, oh, I'm not. It was God's baby. Wouldn't you be a little bit skeptical? Don't you think the neighbors were probably talking a little bit? Don't you think her parents were probably a little bit ashamed and trying to figure out how to cover it up and, and hide it? There was drama, even in the original Christmas. We love to look at the, the Christmas story as sanitized and it's all perfect and there was no problems and oh, just holy light shining down all the time. But that's not how it was. There was drama even in the original Christmas. And the truth is nobody likes drama. Even the people that give the gift of drama don't truly like it, but they give that gift anyway. The psalmist said this in, in Psalm 120 verse six, too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate Peace. Some of you just experienced that at Thanksgiving, didn't you? Right? You're like, oh my gosh, these people, it's just drama all the time. There's conflict all the time. There's fighting all the time. I don't want that. How do I escape that? Galatians 5 gives a warning to people who give the gift of drama. In Galatians 5.15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you, do not cons uh, that you are not consumed by one another. And Jesus said it this way in Matthew 26, if you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. So the people who give the gift of drama have to realize that they are typically gonna be the recipients of that gift as well. And they wonder why their lives are, are surrounded. I've got all this drama, I'm not the cause. And it's like, well, maybe you are, right? James chapter four says this, uh, and if you missed the end of, well, all summer long we went through the book of James, and in August we got to James chapter four, so if you wanna go a little deeper with that, you can go back and find that message, uh, but it, it's toward the end of our James series. But James chapter four, verse one says this, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? 
And this word passions comes from the Greek word, and it's hedone, and that's where we get the word hedonism. And, and the word hedone just means selfish desires. And so what is Paul saying here? He says, what causes you to fight and quarrel with other people? It's that your selfish desires are, are bringing conflict to you. So what are, they, what are the selfish desires in conflict with? Well, when we receive Christ, when we give him our lives, he invades us. And all of a sudden, our selfish desires are at conflict with the spirit of God that's at work within us. And we want what we want, but we know what God wants for us. And those, those desires are at war with each other. And what happens is if we don't submit those things to Christ and go, okay, God, I, I, I want you to take control. I'm gonna give this desire to you and, and I'm not gonna act on it. I'm not gonna think about it. I'm not gonna live on it. Uh, what happens is it's submitted to God and we can move about our business. But what happens is normally is uh, that conflict within us becomes conflict between us. That conflict in our heart spills out when it's not submitted to Christ and it spills out into relationships with others. See, internal conflict leads to external conflict. So this selfish desire in our heart is what leads to conflict between us. It's what leads to drama in our lives. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but think about the people who have the most drama in your life. And the common thread I think you'd see among all of them is immaturity. It might be physical immaturity, because I'm telling you, babies are drama, right? I mean... There's never like, don't you wish babies could talk? It'd be like, mommy, I need my diaper change now, right? Wouldn't that be so much easier? It might be freaky a little bit, but it, wouldn't that be so much easier than just screaming? Because I remember when we had kids and it was like, oh my gosh, the baby's screaming and I don't know, I'm gonna put some food in their mouth. Maybe that's it. No, that's not it. I'm gonna change their, their diaper's not dirty. I don't know what they want. And you're trying to figure it out. It's like some weird puzzle you're trying to put together. But what are they doing? They're screaming and they're crying and they're saying, I want what I want. I want it right now but you give them grace because they're babies, right? But the problem is I know adults that way. Now, I might not need to change their diaper, but you know what I'm saying, don't you? They say, I want what I want. I want it right now. And I'm gonna throw a fit until I get my way. What are they doing? Well, they're bringing drama to the party, but nobody wants it. That selfish desire fuels drama among us if we don't submit it to Christ. And even Paul, when he's writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy, he, he equates this passion that we just talked about, these selfish desires with, with immaturity. He says in verse 22 of 2 Timothy chapter two, he says, so flee youthful passions, it's the same word, this hedone, and pursue righteousness. So he says, um, <clears throat> run away from immature selfishness and run toward or pursue righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. He says, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. So he says, lay the stupid arguments down, because we love winning arguments, don't we? We love to be right. And he says, just forget about that stuff, because it's no good. He said, lay that stuff down, because it just breeds quarrels. It breeds drama. And he says, and, let, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. And let me just make sure you understand this. The word everyone here means everyone. So if you go back to the, it means everybody, even the people we don't like very much, even the people who voted for a different candidate than we did, even the people who have a, a different uh, skin tone than we do, even people who have a different background than we do, 
It says, be kind to everyone. And it goes on to say, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponent. And you're like, yes, I love correcting my opponent. And then it says, with gentleness. Why do we do that? Why do we bother? Why do we show kindness to people who may be our enemy? Why do we care for them? Why do we avoid quarrels? Why do we do those things? Why do we correct our opponents with gentleness? Now listen to this next part. He says, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. I've said this before. I've never argued anyone to salvation before. I've never been like, and you're wrong, and here's why you're wrong. And they're like, fine, I'll get saved. <laughs> right? It's never happened. Never. But do you know what has happened? I've loved people to salvation before. I've shown kindness to people, and that kindness has opened their hearts, even though we're different, different backgrounds, different races, whatever it might be. And what Paul's trying to tell Timothy and tell the church is there's some things that are more important than winning a fight. There's bigger things at work here. There's some things that are more important. And he says at the very first verse there, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. And this is one of the keys for this whole thing of avoiding drama in our lives. We flee youthful passions. We lay down immature selfishness and we pursue the righteousness of Christ. James says this in James 3, he says, and the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So he says, and we know this, this, this idea is true that when we plant something, there will be a harvest of some kind. We see it throughout scripture, we see it in our natural world, but the, the principle here is when we plant peace, we reap righteousness. So, the question is, how do we pursue righteousness? The way we pursue righteousness is to plant peace. We, we, we put it in the ground. We plant it in ourselves. We plant it in others. And we reap a harvest of righteousness in our life. Again, it's not our righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ. I love this word peace. I've talked about it before, and I won't get into it all the way, but I just want to share this with you. Uh, the word peace in the Hebrew, <clears throat> excuse me, it, it means, it, the word is shalom, and you might have heard that word um, before. And, and sometimes in Western culture, we think of peace simply as no fighting. You know, you think of your dad, and you know, you and your sister, your brother, your siblings would be fighting, and he'd say, can I just get some peace and quiet? What he's saying is, can you please stop fighting? I just got home from work, right? I'm tired. I just need some quiet. And so that's what we equate as peace many times, just a lack of conflict. But that's not what the biblical meaning of, of peace really is. The biblical meaning of peace means wholeness or completeness or lack of nothing. And I love what that means because there's this sense of well-being when it comes to peace that, that goes far beyond not having fights. And this is what this is what Paul is after. He's not just after a lack of conflict, but he's after, he really is after us being complete and whole in our being. In Titus, Paul wrote to Titus and he said this in Titus chapter three. Um, and I've just got to warn you, this one is a gut punch. Like when I read this passage, like I literally read it last week and I was like, 
oh my gosh, like, wow, that hurts a little bit when I read this. Now listen to this, <clears throat> Titus 3, 1, it says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions. And again, that's the same word that hedone, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. If that doesn't sound like the picture of drama, I don't know what does. That last line where it said, hated by others and hating one another. It's almost like he's, he's writing this and he's saying we were incapable of loving well before we knew Christ. And then he comes back in verse four and says, but when, goodness, when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Don't you love that? We were a mess. We were a train wreck. We were hopeless. We were helpless. Our lives were full of drama. We were hated by others. We hated others. We were incapable of loving well. And then the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared and he saved us. What Paul is saying is he, he took us from that life into a new life. We, we leave that stuff behind and we walk into something new. So he, a couple more verses there. Let me skip down to verse eight. It says, the saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things. So he says, I'll, I'll, this is, he's saying this is an authority. He's saying this is really important. So insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So the good works are good for building up the body. They're profitable, they're important, they're helpful. But then listen to this in verse nine. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels among, about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. So what does he call these things? He said they're unprofitable and worthless. He says avoid foolish controversies. Avoid controversies about things that really don't make any difference. He said avoid... Genealogies, what does that mean? Well, in, in ancient Hebrew, uh, in ancient Israel, they took a lot of pride in who, what their genealogy looked like. And so that's why you see so much attention paid to genealogies in scripture, because it mattered who your dad was or who your granddad was or who your great-granddad was. If you could go back and say, here's who my ancestors were, it was an impressive feat. And so you could see, oh, well, they came from a good bloodline. Wow, look at that lineage. It was impressive. But this is what Paul says to Titus. He says, um, forget about that stuff because God doesn't care who your dad was. He's not impressed by how important he was and he doesn't care about what kind of scoundrel he was. He does not care what your background is. He does not care what your history is. God doesn't care about any of those things. So why should we care about those things? He said, concentrate on the things that really matter. Don't worry about that stuff. Dissensions, the fighting, the quarreling about the law. Let me just say this. Um, Christians get in fights over scripture that they shouldn't be fighting over. Uh, this, this might offend you a little bit. Um, <clears throat> I probably will never do a sermon series on end time events. And this is why, because I don't know how it's gonna turn out. Now, I talk to people who go, well, I know how it's gonna turn out. I saw this guy on television. He had this gigantic chart on stage and he walked through everything. I'm like, well, that's really interesting because do you know who doesn't know how it's gonna turn out? Jesus. He said, I don't know when the time of the hour is. I'm not sure, right? So how am I supposed to know? So why are we gonna fight over that? Well, all I know is this when it comes to end time events. Let's be ready. 
And whenever God is ready, I'll be ready. Does that make sense? But why are we gonna fight about it? It doesn't make any difference. I'm gonna live my life to the fullest for the glory of God today, and then tomorrow, come what may, I'm gonna trust God. Does that make sense? But people fight about this stuff. Why do they fight about it? It's stupid to fight over it. I don't know what the answer is. Let's just agree to disagree. Okay, well, we'll see. You know, I hope it's pre-tribulation. I would love to go before the tribulation of the church happens, but who knows? But I'm not gonna fight about it, that's for sure. But Christians fight about this stuff all the time. We take little things in scripture and we argue about it and dissect it and fight over it. I don't know. And Paul says, don't spend your time fighting about that stuff. And again, he says it's unprofitable and worthless. He couldn't make that any more clear. What Paul's saying is we take these things that are twos and we turn them into a nine. Now listen to verse 10. <laughs> this is tough. He says, as for the person who stirs up division, after warning him once and twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. It doesn't get any more direct than that, does it? Paul says, don't spend your time with these people. Don't, don't rush into drama. Avoid drama. It is not worth it. Now again, this is not just drama in the church. It's drama in your home. It's drama in your family. It's drama in your workplace. Paul says we avoid the gift of drama at all costs, but we don't avoid confronting and correcting gently and in love. Well, it's our responsibility to correct drama when we see it, but correct it with the right heart, with the right spirit. See, we wanna just crush somebody sometimes, but that's not what Paul wants, that's not what God, God's heart for people is at all. This is what we have to understand. When we listen in our receptacles for drama and refuse to confront and correct in love, that we're actually part of the drama. See, you might think, well, if I, I don't wanna cause any more problems, so I'm not gonna tell them to be quiet, so I'm just gonna listen and then let them go about their business. But this is what we have to understand. If you are the receptacle of drama from somebody in your workplace or in your, in your family or in the church, what happens is the person who is giving the gift of drama to you thinks that you like it and you agree because you didn't say anything. You didn't shut it down. And so they feel affirmed and they feel even stronger. I must be right because they would have said something. But it's our responsibility as Christians to avoid drama. But not only do we not give the gift of drama, but when somebody tries to give us the gift of drama, we shut it down. We say, no, thank you. That's not how I'm gonna be. Because I know what the word of God says. The word of God says that we trust God, but that we submit to rulers and authorities. I don't like my boss, but you know what? I'm gonna submit to him because when I do that, it gives glory to God. I'm not gonna undermine. I'm not gonna trash. I'm not gonna talk dirt about people that are in authority over me. This is what Proverbs chapter 16, verse seven says. When a man's way pleases the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. When we do everything we can to pursue God and to glorify him in our lives, what God does is he directs our path and he makes even our enemies live at peace with us. That's an amazing thing. John chapter 14, verse 27. Usually I use the um, English Standard Version, uh, but I love the way the New Living Translation reads, and I wanna read it to you from the New Living Translation. It says this, Jesus is talking, he says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. 
And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. I love this. Because Jesus is talking about leaving. And he says, hey, I'm leaving, but I'm leaving you with a gift. It's a gift of peace of heart and mind. And he says that the world cannot give that gift. And it's not that the world won't give the gift, but it's the world, that the world can't give the gift. See, so many times we wanna find peace or completion or wholeness in everything that we can control in our lives. We wanna find completion in, in our job, but if I just work a little harder, and if I just get ahead, I'll be able to move up the totem pole, I'll have more security, I'll have more peace. If, if I just earn a little more money, if I could just pay this down, if I can just buy that, then I'll be a little more secure, have a little more peace. If I can just live in the right place and be accepted by the right people, then I'll have peace, then I'll be secure. It, it, if I can just be a good enough dad or a good enough mom, and those are noble pursuits, but we go, if I can just do a little better, be a little more, then I'll have peace. But that's not the thing. What Jesus says is I give you a gift that the world cannot give. It's incapable of giving you the gift that I give. And the gift that Jesus gives is the peace of heart and mind. See, peace and security are closely related. Um, when I'm at peace, it means I'm secure with who I am, what I am, where I'm going, what I have. It might not mean that I'm rich, that I have the most, but I'm secure, I'm at peace with what I have. Now the opposite of that is insecurity. And see, this is where we get into trouble. This, this lack mentality where we go, hey, I don't have enough. I don't have enough money, I don't have enough time, I'm not a good enough parent, I'm not a good enough husband, I'm not a good enough employee, I have to work harder, I have to be more, I have to get more, I have to accumulate more, I have a lack in my life. And that's what causes quarrels and fights and drama in our lives. See, that conflict within us spills out of us and causes conflict around us. And all of a sudden, there's drama, and we don't like drama. We don't wanna be part of drama. We don't wanna give the gift of drama, but all of a sudden, we have. We don't like it, but here we are. What Jesus says is, I give a gift the world cannot give. See, you're looking for security, but you can't find it anywhere except in me. And I'm gonna give the gift of peace that the world cannot give. See, some of us have been looking for the gift and, and, and we get a gift and we go, wait a second. Is this the gift of peace or is this a white elephant? Is this just drama? And see, that's what we have to understand is that the world is ultimately giving us a white elephant. The whole world is ultimately giving us a gift that's going to ruin us if we receive it. And when we pass it on, it ruins others. We go, oh, but... It's an extravagant gift, it really is good. No, 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 it's gonna ruin you if you accept it, if you walk in it, if you receive it. But the gift Jesus gives is the gift that will change our lives. See, it doesn't just end with receiving the gift of peace, but Jesus talks in the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, verse nine, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who make peace. They make peace with themselves and with God so they can have security and peace in their hearts. But not only that, 
They go around giving the gift of peace to others. What does that mean, that they stop conflict? Well, to some degree, but really what they're doing is not stopping conflict between people, they're helping stop conflict within people. They're saying, hey, you know what? I've received this incredible gift of peace and now I wanna give it to you. This gift of peace says that, that I have enough and I am enough and I will be enough. Yes, we never stop trying to be a better husband or dad or mom or, or, or wife, but we, we never have to earn anything. We've received it as a gift. And we go, okay, you know what? I am enough. I have enough. I will be enough. And we give that gift to others to go, no, 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 stop striving. Stop, stop freaking out. Stop trying to just make it right. Just receive the gift of peace. So we not only receive peace, but we disperse peace. We give the gift of peace so that people can make peace in their hearts as well. See, all of us have a choice to make. We can either give the gift of, of drama. We can show up at somebody's house and say, man, I got something great for you. Here it is. We can give a gift that will really change their lives, and that's the gift of peace. You've got a choice to make. This holiday season, you're gonna run into family members who drive you crazy. And you can engage and you can bring the gift of drama with you if you want. Or you can choose to give the gift of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. That's what God's calling us to do today. We have a clear choice to make. What kind of gift are you going to give this holiday season? See, Jesus gave us the ultimate gift, the gift of peace, peace of mind and peace of heart, that we can walk in that and live in that. The question is, what are you going to give? Let's pray. God, I love you so much, and I'm so grateful that you have held nothing back from us. You gave even your only son as a gift for us. So God, we love you, and we thank you for that. God, I pray for each of us in this room today, Lord, you would help us, not just the people listening, but Lord, even me, help my heart be a heart that receives peace today. Lord, not just a little bit, not just the way I want, but God, let me receive it, and God, let me dispense it as well. Lord, I pray right now for the people that are sitting in this room that know that they're living in that drama, that maybe they've given the gift of drama. God, I pray that you'd minister in their heart, Lord. Let them see that there's no condemnation at all. Lord, let them see that there's a better way. Have your way among us, Lord. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just wanna ask if you're here today and you say, Mel, you know what? Um, I've never received the gift of Jesus that you were talking about. I've never given my heart to God. And the truth is, I've never really received that gift of peace that you were talking about. But I want to today. I wanna to make Jesus Lord of my life. I wanna walk with him. And I wanna make him number one. If that's you, I'm not gonna make you come forward. I don't wanna embarrass you, but I do wanna pray with you right where you are. So if that's you, would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it and I'll acknowledge it and you can put your hand down. Is there any here that says, that's me, Mel, pray for me? Thank you, up in the balcony, ma'am, thank you. Thank you, down here on my left, sir, awesome. Who else says that's me? Over here on my right. Thank you, ma'am. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Just a few more seconds. You say, that's me. Pray for me. I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. I wanna receive that ultimate gift. Thanks. Over here on my left. Awesome. Okay. I want every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, I, I just want you to repeat a really simple prayer after me. So say this out loud. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. And thank you for paying the price for my sins on the cross. Thank you for giving me the gift of peace in my mind and in my heart. Today I receive you and I confess you as Lord. 
And I'm never going back to my old ways or my old life. Just as I received your gift, help me give the gift of peace as well. Help me end drama in my life and help me lovingly correct those around me who bring drama. In your name we pray, amen.